Good morning, everyone. Welcome to worship. Before we begin our service, I'll point out a couple things that you can find on the back of your bulletin. Um, There is an update from the pulpit committee that you can read about in the back of your bulletin if uh, you would like to. There's more details about that. Um, Secondly, the youth are meeting tonight in the Family Life Building, and the McCowns and Willers will be hosting that, so be looking forward to that. Next, the ladies are invited to a women's Bible study starting tomorrow at 11 a.m. in the Family Life Building. There will be preschool, children's Bible study, and nursery, and you'll be discussing and reading Psalm 77. So this is a new women's Bible study. I hope you can make it. Um, I think it's going to be a great time, and I'm praying that the Lord blesses that. Lastly, you'll see kind of near the bottom, there is a fall festival being planned for Sunday, October 16th at the Fair Cabin. And I just want to put that on your radar. Um, if there is, if you would like to help out in any way, you can contact the fairs and uh, be looking forward to that. Um, I'm excited about it, so know about that. That is the end of our announcements. God welcomes you. He brings you into worship this morning. So as the music plays, would you take a moment uh, to quiet your hearts and your minds as you prepare to worship?
Please stand with me as we have our call to worship. Psalm 105. O give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name, let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and his judgments he uttered. O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. Please remain standing and let's sing together hymn number 103. Holy God, we praise your name. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we invite you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to attend our worship. Fill our hearts with a desire to see you among us. Cause us to marvel at your presence. Precede us in our worship this morning as we pray together the prayer you taught your disciples. Our Father, who art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please be seated. I'd like to lead us in a time of prayer and basing this time of prayer off of Psalm 105. So if you would, please join me in prayer. Lord, you tell us to seek you and your strength, and we're doing that now. You have done so many incredible things, not just in the Bible recorded for us, but in each of our lives. Father, you are at work in countless ways that are seen and unseen. God, you established your covenant of grace with a covenant-breaking people. Lord Jesus, you took the punishment. You bore the cost for our sin against you. Father, Son, and Spirit, you lead us in worship this morning in joy. Would you keep us, would you help us keep your word and your law for your glory and for our good? God, as we move through life, there is trouble on every side, and there is grief that is always close at hand in this life. And Lord, two days ago, uh, Barbara Butterfield's mother in Wales passed away. And we know she is with you, Lord, and we praise you. And we ask that you be present with Barbara and her family now in a special way as they grieve. God, we pray that you would bless the ministries of this church. We pray you would bless this, the new women's, the women's Bible study that's beginning tomorrow so that the women involved would not only grow in knowledge of you, but of one another and to encourage one another. God, we pray as the weather begins to turn, um, many of us are rejoicing in that alone, and we thank you for that. Would you make this fall season in the life of our church a time where we grow in thanksgiving and worship for you? Would you grant us repentance, Holy Spirit? Lord Jesus, help us to trust you and believe what you say is true. And we pray, Father, that you would lead us in your ways. God, would you bless this worship service? Would you enlarge our hearts so that we could receive your word, so that we could receive the gospel, and believe it this morning once again. We thank you for this time of worship, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before the choir sings, I will read from Psalm 121, as they're about to sing Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. 
The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore.
Please pray with me. God, on the morning we get to celebrate your table, we, we look on the table and we um, want to respond with our thanks and gratitude. And you give us this time to give tithes and offerings as a response to your grace um, and to your blessings in our life. So as we have this time to give, Lord, continue developing our hearts in a way in which we love to give, in which we give out of a place uh, of, of growth where you have taught us your grace and we give in response. So Lord, use these tithes and offerings to bless your church, to communicate the gospel across the world, um, to provide for the needs of our neighbors. And in any way that glorifies you, Lord, use these tithes and offerings, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would stay standing, we will continue to worship by singing hymn number 472. And we will only be singing verses 1, 4, and 5. So let's sing verses 1, 4, and 5 of hymn number 472. Amen. You may be seated. I invite you to turn to Mark chapter 2, starting at verse 13. Mark chapter 2, starting at verse 13. Uh, we have begun and are making our way through the Gospel of Mark, 
And it's been a joy. Um, I have enjoyed studying Mark and getting able to preach through Mark. Um, I came across a survey that came out this past week from Lifeway, which is a Christian publishing company. And they asked some interesting questions. Every year they come out with a survey to kind of give you a brief look at the theology of Christians across the country. And they asked self-identifying evangelicals if Jesus was God. And amazingly, 43% of evangelicals said no, Jesus was not God. So almost half of the U.S. population of evangelicals, Christians, don't believe that Jesus is God. And thankfully, Mark is one long answer to that question of who Jesus is and what he's come to do. Jesus is God. And praise be to God that we have passages like this today where we can't help but be amazed and worship God for who he is, for his love for outsiders and sinners. So if you would, uh, pray with me and then we'll read our passage. God, would the gospel of your grace be clear to us this morning from your word? Uh, Would we go away from this time worshiping you and giving thanks to you for all that you have done for sinners such as us? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Read with me, starting at verse 13. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. But if he does, the wine, if he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I have two points this morning before we enjoy the Lord's table together. The first is that Jesus loves first. That's my first point. Jesus loves first. And my second point is that Jesus invites sinners to the feast. Jesus loves first. This passage is all about the good news of the gospel. The good news that Jesus loves you first. 
And in his love, he invites you to a feast, to his feast of grace. No person acts first in their relationship with God. No person acts first. Jesus, as some would say, is the first mover in our relationship with him. He loves you first, and that's why we call it grace. And when we experience this love, we are changed forever. And we learn to love others like Christ does with no strings attached. And so let's see how that plays out in our passage. In verses 13 to 14, Jesus calls Levi, the tax collector, to follow him. Tax collectors uh, earned their money with and without the consent of the people they took their tax collection from. They were workers for Rome, and Rome was known as the Gentile government. Researchers have found that the Romans would hire local tax collectors, many of whom were Jews that were not practicing their faith, because a faithful Jewish person wouldn't do business with Gentiles. And these tax collectors would skim where they could, get their share of someone's taxes, and use other means to get their cut. So as you can imagine, tax collectors were hated by many people. And today, none of us loves paying taxes. But even still, we wouldn't say someone who works for the IRS to be a sinner. We have um, something called the Mishnah which was completed between around 200 to 300 A.D. And the Mishnah is basically a collection of commentaries of the Torah and traditions and applications of the Torah. And the Mishnah is interesting and helpful because it gives us a picture of what life for Jewish people was like during about the time of Jesus. And the Mishnah lumps tax collectors with thieves and murderers. A Jewish person who collected taxes was expelled from the synagogue, and they were a disgrace to the family. The very touch of a tax collector made that person's household unclean. Jews were even told that they could lie to tax collectors and not sin. This is all from the Mishnah. Jewish extremists, of which Jesus had one disciple who was a zealot, which was a Jewish extremist, they considered working for the Roman government and being a tax collector as treason against God. It's treason against God. And so to the Pharisees, a tax collector was very obviously excluded from table fellowship with Jesus and even other Jews, a tax collector would not be the person, a godly person, according to them, uh, would be around. And so we see in verses 15 to 16 that Jesus is calling another unclean person to follow him, another sinner to follow him and be his disciple. You might even say that in the eyes of a Pharisee, a tax collector is worse than who we saw in the previous passages, a leper. Worse than a leper because they chose their job. They chose to be unclean. They chose to be 
on the same level as a murderer in their eyes. Now Jesus was spending time with people that the Jews were instructed to not even be near. Jesus has come to show the love of God for sinners. That is his purpose. And the Pharisees had no idea what this love looked like or a God who had this love. The Pharisees in verse 16 asked Jesus why he's eating with the unclean sinners of the world. And sinners in our passage is a term that for the Pharisees meant a particular thing. So if you are a sinner, you're actually someone who rejects the Torah and had no place among the Jewish people. They described people who kind of fit this category of sinner. They say tax collectors, thieves, um, other criminal types, uh, people who did business during Jewish holidays, uh, gamblers, and other people as part of this group of sinners. And the Pharisees believed that those who studied the Torah and devoted their life to the Torah were good and virtuous. And those who didn't, for whatever reason, even if you were poor and could not afford to study the Torah, you belonged outside the people of God. Jesus is now reclining at the table, which means enjoying traditional meal with the needy and the alienated, with the outcasts of the Jewish religious community, with people who were shunned by the Jews. A Jew would never do this. Jesus is showing just by his example that he is destroying, demolishing the boundaries that were set up for table fellowship. And I think it's wonderful that we see how sinful people essentially ran from the Pharisees. They ran from their moralistic, legalistic, self-made righteousness, and sinful people ran towards Jesus. They followed Jesus. They went toward him. Jesus fellowships and dines with people who have no evidence of righteousness in their life, that they deserve nothing from God, and yet Jesus dines with them, and he is the bridge between them, their sin, and relationship with God. Paul says in Romans chapter 9, he says this, Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is, a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as if it were based on works, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. Now, if you're like the Pharisees, if you have a heart like a Pharisee, and you seek to establish your own righteousness before God, then someone who is on their deathbed, who has rejected God their entire life, 
and has done everything opposite that the Bible instructs us, if they come to faith in Christ and trust him then, you might in your heart be angry. If you see a broken person who deserves nothing from God restored to life and trust in God, you might feel hatred in your heart. That is the heart of a Pharisee in this passage. And Jesus wants to introduce you to the God of grace, the God of love. If you have no hope of pleasing God, if you know you have no way on your own to come near to God, then you are graciously offered and granted the righteousness of Christ by faith through Christ alone. Jesus calls people not after they have dressed up nicely, not after they have gotten their act together. He calls people as they are. Jesus loves being with people who know they have nothing to offer God, who know they have nothing to offer and just want to know Jesus and experience his righteousness. No one deserves the grace of God, otherwise it wouldn't be grace. As we see in our passage, you are loved eternally by God based on nothing but God's own love for you. Nothing else. Jesus loves first. This is the gospel. It leads into how Jesus invites sinners to the feast. The question we have and might have when we read a passage like this, a story like this is, did Jesus only eat with sinners and tax collectors if they promised to change their life, if they promised to repent of their sin and live a more godly life? If that's the case, if we were to grant that, then the Pharisees would have loved Jesus. If people were required to change their ways before they got to go have lunch with Jesus, then the Pharisees wouldn't have hated Jesus in every story we have of the Pharisees and Jesus interacting. The Pharisees hated him, and that tells us even more about the love of God for sinners. Jesus doesn't make moral repentance a precondition for his love and acceptance. He didn't screen people at the door. He loved them and invited them to recline with him at the table and enjoy a meal. Jesus loves and accepts you as you are, and his love will never leave you as you are. He loves and accepts you as you are right now, and he will never leave you as you are. You don't change your life to be loved by Jesus. He loves you first. With all your sin and flaws, Jesus loves you right now. If the tax collectors change their life, it's because they've encountered this radical love of Jesus the thing that people keep ex exclaiming in the Gospel of Mark, that we have never seen anything like this before. Certainly the Pharisees haven't. 
We don't know how many people put their trust in Jesus. We just know that he loved them first, ate with them, and they followed him. And he loves you the same way. God loves you right now apart from everything you have done, will do, in and through his son, Jesus. You can't take away from God's love. You can't add to it. No matter how many Sundays you skip, no no matter how many mornings you miss your devotional, or how badly you've messed up in life, this is the good news, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for you, for sinners. Christ loved you first while you were still a sinner. And I think the best way to lead people to Christ, we talk about evangelism sometimes, we think about it as Christians. The best way to lead people to Christ is to love others the way he has loved us, with no preconditions, with no expectations that they're going to change their ways before we love them. The gospel is not good news about how Jesus gives us a good standard to live up to. In reality, I think many people have a standard for Christian behavior that is much more aligned with the Pharisees than it is the love of Jesus. The good news of the gospel of Jesus is that he says, come and eat with me right now, whoever you are, whatever you have going on in your life, whatever disqualifies you in your mind, come and be a part of a meal with me. Yes, Christians are called to holiness. Christians are called to holiness, but even our holiness is by grace. It's all by grace. God's love is not dependent on our holiness, and it never will be because we're in Christ by faith. He loves you right now. Christ loves you right now. In many ways, we've seen Stories of how even great sinners in the public eye know the grace and love of Christ better than those who have a self-made righteousness. The radical Jesus is here. He is the, the new patch, the new wine. He is the bridegroom. No one has seen anything like him. In verses 18 to 22, some people ask Jesus why his disciples aren't fasting. Fasting is a biblical practice, but Jesus says no one at a wedding feast stops eating and fast while the bridegroom is with them. I learned that a a traditional Jewish wedding would last seven days. Seven days. It's a party. It's a joyous time. The disciples would fast later on, but not now. The bridegroom is with them. What I found super interesting, and I credit James Edwards for his research on this, nowhere in the Old Testament is the Messiah, the the promised one of God, nowhere in the Old Testament is that Messiah pictured as a bridegroom. But in multiple places in Isaiah, in Ezekiel, in Hosea, The bridegroom is God himself. 
The bridegroom is God himself. And now we have that question again. Who is Jesus? What is his identity? Is he a really helpful uh, teacher? Is he a really interesting rabbi? Is he just a good person who we can learn things from and move on? I don't think you can move away from the gospel of Mark without knowing that Jesus is God. Jesus is both fully human and fully God. The hymns we have sung already this morning teach us about God, how Jesus is of one substance and equal with the Father. One God, three persons, equal in power and glory. The Son of God is the bridegroom. And the bridegroom must be taken away for sin and death to be destroyed. And for that final wedding feast that Christ promises to have with all those who trust in him on the last day. The parables about the wine and cloth are about Jesus' relationship to traditional Judaism. And Jesus says he's the new wine, the new patch He's not going to be worked into these old systems of Judaism or of the Pharisees or any other traditional religious system. Jesus didn't come to tear it all down. We know that already through the Gospel of Mark. Jesus upholds the Torah. He honors it. He teaches in synagogues. But he shows us that his authority is above those things. He is not bound by them. And now the question to the hearers of Jesus, to those who are beginning to hear the good news, is are they willing to become something new? Are they willing to become something totally new through Jesus and the good news that he brings? Thankfully, the good news of Jesus is not the traditions of the Pharisees. The love of God in Christ is so incredible because we receive it before we do anything, before we lift a finger. And now we're invited by Jesus to come and taste his grace, this forgiveness, this love. Jesus loves you first, right now. Not after this worship service, not after you go and do your devotion, not after you stop your sinful habits, not after you repent of your sins. Jesus loves you right now. He loves you first. He wants you to be free of the sin that weighs so heavily on you. He wants you to taste real forgiveness and real grace. And he invites you to his feast of grace And so you're invited to come as you are, as a sinner, as someone who deserves to not be in table fellowship with Jesus and be loved by him. And whether you've been a Christian all your life, whether you've never sung a hymn before, we all need a fresh reminder of the grace of the good news of Christ. Because we will not remain the same. His love changes us. Let's pray together. Jesus, you 
ate with the sinners and tax collectors of your day, and you give us this story of your love and your grace so that we would be uh, encouraged, so that we would turn and believe in you, that we would trust you and trust that you love people as broken and as messed up as us. Lord, as we come to your table that you've set for us, would you encourage our hearts through it and continue to preach the gospel to our hearts as we experience your grace through the bread and the juice. Thank you for this time. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As the elders prepare the table for us, uh, I invite you to stand, and we will sing verses 1 through 3 of hymn 253, There is a Fountain Filled with Blood. So would you please stand and worship with me with verses 1 through 3. You may be seated. We read the words from the gospel accounts that we call the words of institution because Jesus instructs us in this practice. And I'll read from Luke 22. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. 
For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This table is not for people who have cleaned up their act. This table is not for people who have repented of all their sins and are righteous in their own eyes. This table is for sinners, people who need the grace of God in Christ. This table is for people who know first and foremost that Jesus loves you, that he has loved you first when you were a sinner While you are a sinner, Jesus loves you and gave himself for you. He loves you right now. And Jesus wants to feast at his table with you. He is here spiritually present at this table with us by faith. You can't make your own place at the table, and that's good news. Because the righteousness of Christ alone gives you access by faith alone. Jesus dines with sinners and tax collectors, and he's set the table for you and me today. If you will seek holiness, not to gain Christ's love, but because of his love and the grace of sanctification, Christ promises that you will be changed by his love. You don't change yourself before coming here. You are changed by it. This table, the bread, and the juice testify to our hearts that by faith Christ loves us, that he died for us, that he lives for us today, and that he rose from death to give us hope. If you're a member of this church or another and in good standing, we invite you to enjoy this table fellowship with Jesus. If you don't understand what these signs mean, we would ask that you pass until you can come to understand what it is that we're doing at the table. You can ask God to give you understanding and faith, but we ask that you, again, not practice eating of the bread and the juice until you have understood. So talk to an elder of our church if you have questions, and have a conversation about this before you participate. If you trust in Christ, I invite you to enjoy this table. If you trust in Christ by faith, rest secure in your Savior as you enjoy the bread and the juice. Please pray with me. God, we thank you for this table. Jesus, as you ate with sinners and tax collectors, you now eat with us spiritually by faith. So would you encourage our hearts? Would you fill us with the gospel? And would you cause us to be a walking testimony of your love for people who do not deserve your love at all. We love you, Lord, and we thank you again for this table. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. The Lord Jesus Christ, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And after blessing it, he gave it to his disciples, as I, ministering in his name, give this bread to you. And he said, take, eat, this is my body, which is for you. Do this 
in remembrance of me. The elders will pass out the bread, and once everyone's been served, we'll eat together as one body. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life.
The body of Christ broken for you. Let's eat together. In the same manner, Jesus also took the cup. And having given thanks as we've done in his name, he said, he gave it to his disciples saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for the forgiveness of For the remission of sins, drink from it, all of you. The elders will once again pass out the juice. Once everyone's been served, we'll drink together as one body.
The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Christ's blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Let's drink together. Please pray with me. Lord, as we taste, as we see the gospel here on this table, as you have joined to eat with us for this table fellowship, would you fill our hearts with the peace that only you can give through the forgiveness of our sins, through the hope that we have of one day enjoying the feast with you, the wedding, the great wedding feast. Lord, we long for that day and we pray, Jesus, that you come and that you come soon. God, give us encouragement this week as we go from this place, continue this day of worship for each one of us on this Sabbath day. And we thank you again for this table and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I invite you now to stand and sing verses 4 and 5 of hymn number 253 as we close our service. Receive the blessing of God and respond in faith with your amen.
grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. Amen.